everyone, post-production Kaylin here, and I just needed to preface this episode and let everyone know what's going on. So, if you've been around for a while, then you probably know about our mysteriously missing Nebraska case. And Elena and I kind of chopped it up to we were cursed and a angry spirit decided to take our case and delete it. But that is not the case. We, in fact, found it. I think I found it two or three days ago. And so this week, Elena did her North Carolina case and we recorded a case for me for this episode for North Carolina. But it just wasn't what we wanted it to be. So it worked out in our favor that we found this Nebraska case because this is a case that I really enjoyed working on. And so today, instead of North Carolina, we are going to go ahead and put out our missing Nebraska case. And I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. So now with all that being said, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murderers, lots of crime. With Elena and Kaylin. Hi Kaylin. Hi. One of these days, you're going to do the intro. That's <laughs> funny because that will not happen. All right, so we are heading back to the glorious state of Nebraska. Yes. But before we go there, I do just want to point out to our listeners, <laughs> not readers, that I've taken a sabbatical from Facebook and Instagram for Lent because they are making me hate people. <laughs> I mean, you already hate people. Well, you know, I say I hate people a lot, but really I don't. I just, yeah, but I do get frustrated a lot. I get frustrated really easily, as anyone who knows me knows. And I just, yeah, I just needed a break. So I will still update the Twitter feed and do all that kind of stuff. But I just don't want to offend anybody if they're not hearing from me in any way. And so, yeah. Okay. There you go. Or wondering why I don't like our own things. <laughs> our own stuff. Yeah, our own posts. So. Um, I'm just chilling. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't do it. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> so. I don't know. So I had a really hard... Oh. I could speak. Yeah. I had a really hard time finding a case that I wanted to cover. Okay. I have to tell, I did too. Well, and you and I, you know, texted yeah. a little bit about this because Nebraska, Nothing Charles Starkweather, Charles Starkweather is the big one, right? Yeah. And so, and that case is so pivotal in American history for so many reasons. That's the biggie, but yeah, I was with you. I was like, oh, aside from that, like nothing, there's not a whole lot to choose no. from. And what there is, like Della Sorensen, there is crap for documentation and I feel like it's almost easier for you to be able to pick because you normally go straight for the older cases Mm -hmm. which means I've got anywhere from like the 70s ish maybe a little older than that to like today to choose from (laughs) and then on top of that I go in and I want to try to find things that you don't know a lot about which means I normally go back a little further and it's, it, I don't know. I had a hard time with this one because there's really not a lot to choose. Well, from. like I said, we're in the same boat. Yeah. So I, you have my empathy and my sympathy on this one. So 
this case kind of resembles a few of our other cases that we've done in the past and Monday's case that you did. One of them that it resembles a lot is your favorite one, David Curtis Stevenson, no. our KKK member. Oh, yeah. I still hate that guy so much. No, you do. Ugh. But this, it does resemble it a lot. And then on top of that, I have been doing a lot of children killers lately. Yeah. So why not keep it going? Oh, God. And F the KKK, man. Like, honestly, ugh. F him. <laughs> so this is another one that happens in two states, but he was arrested and executed in Nebraska. Okay. So on July 2nd, 1963, John Jubert was born in Lawrence, Massachusetts. When he was six, his parents divorced and he was forced to live with his mom. And he wasn't allowed to see his dad, which it didn't really talk a lot about. It did. I did find out that there was no like physical abuse or sexual abuse or anything, but we don't know why he wasn't allowed to see his dad. You at know, all. it could have been something as simple as mom didn't want him to. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mom mm -hmm. did it, or he remarried and knew what you know what I'm like. Yeah. And unfortunately, that was. I think that was a much more common narrative. Yeah. So he wasn't allowed to see his dad at all, and it was said that his mom became very controlling, which in turn made him hate her. Mm -hmm. And he had a babysitter when he was young who said that he said that he fantasized about murdering her and cannibalizing her. Okay. That... <laughs> you know, and we talked about what your Eric Smith case yes. in New York where we talked about, are people born evil? These are some of the things that make me think maybe some, because really, in 1963, and I don't know how old he was. It, it was about six-ish. Okay, seriously. How does a six-year-old in 1963 come up with this fantasy? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? That's something Nuts. terrifying. So... It, I, it said that he thought that his babysitter and his mother were trying to break up his family, which doesn't really make sense because his family was technically already broken up because his parents had already divorced. Unless he's trying to spin a narrative about why don't I see daddy anymore. Yeah. So when he was 18, he moved out mm -hmm. and it was, he... That's not right. When he was eight, he moved out. Him and his mom moved out into a new house. Oh, okay. Into like a little rundown apartment. <laughs> He's eight. I'm out. <laughs> Get a job. See you, mom. Uh, it was said that he was an outcast at school. He was really skinny and teased a lot. And when he was eight was also the time he decided to join Cub Scouts. Okay. Which, yeah, that's usual. And he also says that this is about the time he began wondering so between six and eight is about the time he began wondering what it would be like to murder somebody and when he was 11 he and his mom moved to portland maine okay and when he was 12 he admitted he was gay which that was in 1975 so not taken so well to the public. Right. Yeah, that's still a difficult thing. And I can only imagine, if he, especially if he's still living in Maine, mm -hmm. not the most progressive state out there. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, 
there's a lot of things against him at this point. And he was supposedly already being teased and made fun of because he was super skinny and kind of an outcast. And then add on, he's gay. So it just made his school days hellish. Yeah. So between the ages of 13 and 16, things get a little creepy. He ends up stabbing a nine-year-old in the back with a pencil. Why? How? When? Just... Just us. All right. And he said that her screams excited him. Creepy. Yeah. Now, that was his first attack of many. The... And he got away with it. Nothing happened. Well, again, this time period, you need to think about the way that bullying in general was treated... The boys will be boys narrative BS that we're all far too familiar with at this point. And yeah, that's... So he got away with that. And then he decided to slash another girl with a razor as he rode by her on his bike. Oh my God. Also, got away with it. Nothing really happened. So here's something too that I... Like... That's... I don't know. I'm having like... Sorry, a lot going on in my brain. But... What's interesting to me about this is very often when you deal with these sorts of crimes, you know, the fact that he wanted to kill and cannibalize, for instance, the babysitter. Let's start there. Those are things that are tied together often to sexually, like Jeffrey Dahmer. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So it's weird to me that he is identifying as homosexual, but all of his victims, at least so far, are female. Mm -hmm. That's, That's an odd sort of... I don't know. Like, uh, I'm obviously I'm not an expert psychologically, but this seems to be outside of the realm of the usual for these sorts of cases. Well, things change. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> when he, a few years later, after he slashed the girl with the blade, he attacked an eight-year-old boy. Okay. And nearly strangled him to death. Oh my god. Which now we're kind... That was kind of his pivotal moment when he realized knives and sharp objects were his thing. Which is probably why he ended up not actually killing the boy. Because he just didn't like strangling him. Plus it takes a long time. I mean this is the one thing you know... Gross and I don't want to dwell on this too much. But when you seen in the movies and then it's when very you, quick exactly and when you hear you know when you hear about how long it t- and why it is so often associated with some sort of a sexual component mm-hmm. or you know what sexual deviancy because of that so. yeah so that was when he realized he like knives and sharp objects were his thing and at this point he still hasn't killed anybody okay. he's just stabbed and slashed and nearly strangled a guy to death a Which boy to death. Kind of typical, but he's working mm-hmm. his way up to it. So things increasingly got worse, but he was never caught doing anything. So he's he's thinking he's okay. Which will make thing, him gradually get worse. Right. Because that's normally how it goes. They get bolder. Mm-hmm. He's getting away with it. Mm-hmm. There's no repercussions. So he's getting braver. Yes. So when he was... 17, he attacked a 27-year-old student at the University of Maine. Oh, my God. He stabbed her in the stomach, and she was injured very badly, but she did not die. 
And then two months after that, he attacked, he attacked a nine-year-old boy. He cut the boy's throat, but the boy survived. Oh, thank God. This guy, he's trying to kill these people. He's having really bad luck but with I, it. I wonder if he is. Do you know what I mean? Or if this is just... some of the hesitancy to, again, yeah. I, I hate like even thinking about these things. And yet, we have to understand them to prevent them. Yeah. Or I don't know, maybe. So, the boy survives. Mm -hmm. Now, were charges ever filed? Or, or is he doing this and not getting caught still? Yes. Okay. So, it's crazy that he hasn't gotten caught, though. I mean, it's at this point, it's the 1980s. And, but, like, you've done so much harm. But, again, the randomness of it, especially yeah. if you are not, you know, this is an, another thing, is that most crime takes place between or amongst people who know each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm pretty sure he is just randomly attacking victims of opportunity that there's not necessarily a personal connection. So how yeah. when I, they don't know who he is. Do you yeah. know, is my guess. Yeah. And I guess there's not a whole lot since his victims are so vastly mm -hmm. different. It's hard for like media to be like, this is happening to these people. Watch out. Well, and again, in the eighties, we're not making those connections either. Yeah. So, or rarely. Yeah. So on August 22nd, 1980, 11-year-old Richard Stenson disappeared oh. while jogging near his home in Portland, Maine, which I don't know 11-year-old jogs. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was where I was going with that is who, who like, what are you doing? Yeah. Are you, like, trying to be on the track team and you just got to get a little faster? May maybe, like, yeah. Bored? Healthy? Maybe. I don't, yeah. I don't know. But, but, oh, my God. I, this isn't, this is going to make me cry. So, he disappeared while jogging. And he was found the next morning by a motorist passing by on the side of the highway. And he, the guy who found him initially thought, like, this guy was probably hit by a car. Okay. Not, the, not that was not the case. The autopsy showed that Richard Stetson had been strangled and then stabbed several times in the chest. And they found bite marks on his body. Oh, so this is where my case came in. Yep. So they found bite marks that were inflicted by a human set of teeth, not an animal of any sort. And the investigators didn't really have any solid evidence. And it took about a year before a suspect was booked on the charges of this murder. Well, they charged the wrong guy. That's what I was going to figure, yeah. And... The charges did get dismissed in February of 1984, and at this time there were two mo two more victims, but they one of them was about 1,500 miles away. Oh my gosh! So he's traveling. Yes, and we will find out how he's traveling okay. soon. So on September 18th, 1983, Danny Joe Eberly was 13 years old. And he was delivering newspapers in Bellevue, Nebraska. No. And that morning, he left to deliver papers and disappeared. His bike and the papers were found inside a gate at the fourth house on his route. And But he was missing for another four days before they found him. 
and they pulled his body from some roadside weeds. He had been partially stripped and stabbed repeatedly and then dumped where they had found him. Any bite marks? They noticed bite marks on his body and his ankles had been bound. This guy's a trucker, isn't he? No. Oh, oh. On December 2nd of 1983, 12-year-old Christopher Walden disappeared while he was walking to school in Nebraska, three miles from where they found Danny Joe Everly. He was stabbed repeatedly, and his body was found by a pheasant hunter a couple of days later, hidden in like a gathering of trees outside of town. Okay. And things here get a little muddy. Some sources say one thing, some sources say another. Some sources said that on January 11th, a woman was attacked at a church, and then she got the license plate number of the dude who had attacked her. Others say that there was a same day as a, a, a <laughs> take a breath, honey. A suspicious man mm-hmm. was seen loitering outside of a um, preschool, Ooh. elementary school, okay, a preschool, school. okay. And an attendant had come out to kind of confront him about it, and he threatened her and pushed her, and then she got the license plate. Either way, he interacted with a woman in some way that was not good. Mm-hmm. She got his license plate, and they found him that night. Thank God. Now. <sighs> it's going to get bad, isn't it? The, the license plate was connected to a rental vehicle that was traced to a 20-year-old John Jubert. And at this time, he had enlisted in the Air Force. Which is why his cases were so far away, because he got moved. All right, so he, as he was going from ba- PCSing mm-hmm. from base to base. They ended up doing a search of his living quarters, and they found rope that was identical to Danny Eberly's bindings. And they found a hunting knife in his car and more rope in his car. And that, for them, at that point, was enough to arrest him. Good. And it's also talked about that between his murder of Richard Stetson, which was in 1980, Mm -hmm. and his murder of Danny Joe Eberly, which was in 1983. Okay. So about three years go by, and it was talked about that he found a his first ever friend, okay. like actual close best friend. Which you would think in the military. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's a the structure is set up to support social interaction yes. and relations. So and so he stopped for three years, and then his friend died. The power of friendship. And then that's when he started killing again. Wow. And they're very clear. I legit, I've already. I see that you have goosebumps. <laughs> I, I got, I got a little bit of chill too, but I'm wondering, is that, are they 100% sure he didn't murder? Do you know what I mean? Because so many of these serial killers, we have these odd cases that we don't even really know for sure how many, you yeah. know what I mean? So 
I don't know. Is this just his own testimony that asserts this? It might be, but he also confessed. So that's to, what I mean. Yeah, that's to, what I mean. Like, like the rest of the murders. Okay. So okay, I don't know. Now he was arrested on January eleventh, nineteen eighty four, which was the same day that he had gotten into the altercation with the woman. And as soon as he was into custody, he confessed. Okay, so he's kind of like Della. Yeah. Well. He confessed of two of the local, the two oh, local murders. Right. He didn't confess to the ones he did out of state because that's more charges out of state. Exactly. So he did confess to the Danny Joe Eberly uh, murder and the one of Christopher Walden. And the next day, he was charged with two counts of homicide and was held on a $10 million bond. Good. Until his trial. So on January, July 3rd of 1984... He pled guilty to both counts, and instead of having a jury, they had a panel of three judges. Oh, now you can do that. So you can ask for a judge trial, right, mm-hmm. versus a jury trial. And I know once you do that, different states handle it slightly. Is that what happened to you? I'm or? assuming. Okay. So, because he, he had a panel of three judges, and they decided to sentence him to death by electric chair. Yay, judges in Nebraska. Now, since he was from Portland, Maine, and this was a fairly decent-sized case, they did do a lot of media on him in Portland, Maine. Right. And that's when an investigator had noticed, like, something's... There's, like, a lot that's the same here. Mm -hmm. And... Starts putting together, yes, like aspects of his attacks to aspects of attacks there. Yes. So this investigator went back to the Richard Stetson case Mm -hmm. and did more DNA testing. He did a tooth impression sample and he was able to indict Rich or indict him for the murder of Richard Stetson. Good. So, in 1990, he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole in Maine. Okay. So, not only did he have a death penalty, but now he's got life in prison. So, we know he's not getting out. Right. And and that was because they had matched the bite mark. Mm -hmm. They didn't really get much off the DNA, but the bite mark matched. Although I have heard that bite mark evidence now is... Like, they're saying it's not accurate. Hmm. That most of that is not something that you can really... Do you know what I'm saying? That it's just not... I do kind of get that because I feel like a lot of people mess with their teeth. Whether it's... You know what I mean? Well, it's just the fact... So think about it, too. Like, when you bite somebody, you know, or you're bitten... It, the tissue swells. The, do you know okay. what I mean? There's a yeah, lot. It's not. Sense. It's not like when you go to the dentist and you bite into that nasty stuff, and uh-huh. then they get a clear. Because think how difficult it is to get a clear impression of somebody's teeth if you've yeah. ever had to have, you know, orthodontic or dental work done that requires mm-hmm. that. And so, yeah, f- my understanding, and I could be wrong. We'll have to do some research. Is that that has pretty much been debunked. So, okay. so, 1995 comes around, and he files for an appeal. Why? You confessed. You said you did this. Like, let's See, that's what I don't understand. During his appeal process, they tried to say that the electric chair, in general, was cruel and unusual punishment. punishment. 
So that was their, that was kind of their leg in for that appeal is maybe trying to get it bumped down to a life in prison, but it didn't work. Good. Because. (laughs) And I know I sound like such a hypocrite because I spend so much time talking about how I'm not such a fan of the death penalty, but then I hear a case like this where you murder children and I'm like, fry, I don't care. Like, bye-bye. Yeah. So the court agreed and overturned the appeal, saying that he shows sadistic behavior and tortured yes. his victims. So, like, no, you're screwed. <laughs> now, we didn't talk about this, and I don't even know if I want to bring it up. Was there evidence of sexual assault as well? No. Okay. He. It was said that he used to masturbate after he killed them. Ugh. But on the plus side, he didn't. There was no sexual assaults. He didn't rape them. Yes. But he did get sexual gratification. Yes. And the reason I ask that is not just to be like pervy and gross, Mm -hmm. but again, a pathology that is practically impossible to reform or treat at this time are people who have these, and I'm not talking Fifty Shades of Grey, you like to, you know what I mean, like that whole thing. I I get that there's a BDSM culture that exists and they do what they do and it's consenting adults and I'm not, you know what I mean, that's whatever. I'm talking about cases like this where there's sadistic sexual pathology like I said, involves the unwilling torture, often death. You know, th- yes. this is something else other than that. Yeah. You can't change these people. And they are going to continue to offend. Yeah. I agree. Yes. I, don't, I don't know. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a weird situation. Yeah. So, normally I'd complain about, like, lengthy wait times between yes. conviction and, and death. death. <laughs> You you like that. You're convicted. Bye-bye. Yeah. I, I feel know. like the, the whole appeal system, I understand in some cases, because we do have a lot, which you've posted on our discussion board if anybody wants to go read it, you did post about wrongful convictions and right. wrongful imprisonment. And while that does happen, I think especially with these people who are confessing to it. Yes. Can you please just kill them? Yes. Why let them... And again, like I said, the... the the sadistic sexual aspect yes. of this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And we do have, I mean, like I said, there is definitely a problem with death penalty convictions in this country based on race, based on other ethnicity, based on socioeconomic status. Those are all very real issues where I think the appeal process is very, very valuable. In a case like this, yeah, it's easier to just feel like, nope. <laughs> Yeah, well, now that I've gotten more informed and educated about the process of mm-hmm. the death penalty and stuff like that, this one's not so bad. It's only about 12 years, okay. which in normal time seems like a long time, but like death penalty time, like that's nothing. death row time, like that's nothing. Yeah, I mean, isn't it something the average, the average I believe is like 20 years or something? Something like that. It's, yeah. But on July 17th, 1996, he was executed by electric chair. Well done, state of Nebraska. And at some point, they did do psych evals on him. Yes. Well, that's, I believe, that's it's standard. standard procedure. Yeah. And one of the psychiatrists that he had seen characterized John Jubert as having obsessive-compulsive obs- <laughs> obsessive disorder. Whatever. And s- sadistic tendencies, clearly. Yes. Like, <laughs> duh. 
And it also said that he uh, suffered from schizoid personality disorder. But... He definitely has a personality disorder, <laughs> yeah. for sure. But it was determined <laughs> that he was not psychotic at the time of any of the murders. Right. So, that didn't go anywhere. Thank and this God. is this is that legal, mm-hmm. you know, like we said, again, this is a great case to go alongside the Delasorenson. Yeah. Because, again, we're seeing a very different definition and use of the legal definition of insanity. Yeah, so, which is Which is bonkers. I'm actually... Yeah. I'm going to find out what they actually are. Yeah. Well, and like I said, it is problematic and, you know, and, and these definite, and these definitions too, you know, we, I think we talked before about how much of our mental health care system is an art, you know, as well as a science that there are so many, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you like look at the DSM and you look at the criteria for lots of various disorders and and mental diseases, the amount of crossover, and I I don't know, I mean, obviously they have the training or whatever, but it must be so difficult to make some of these diagnoses, I can't imagine. Yeah. So, according to Mm dictionarylaw.com, in the... Definition of insanity is mental illness of such a severe nature that a person cannot distinguish fantasy from reality. They cannot conduct his or her affairs due to psychosis or is subject to uncontrollable impulsive behavior. Insanity is distinguished from low intelligence or mental deficit. Deficiency? Yep, thank you. (laughs) My words aren't working for me That's okay. I thought we had readers, not listeners. So there we go. So, I don't know. It's weird. I wonder, and then insanity. If I just Google insanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I just Google insanity, what will I find? <laughs> My own picture. Probably. <laughs> that doesn't really mean anything. Okay. Yeah, and like I said, I think because we do have a hard time deciding what that really means yeah you know and and like i said that idea of you know the inability to distinguish reality from fantasy again the right from wrong in the moment that you committed the crime that all ties together yeah yeah i hate that case too i knew you would hate it I really do. I think I'm going to try to get off these whole children murder kicks. <laughs> Me too. We both did it's it so this week. Hard. It's hard though. Yeah. Because, I don't know. Well, I think they get a lot more attention, obviously. And uh, yeah. yeah. We they do. But they're, they're horrific and horrifying and tragic. So Because I honestly, I mean, everybody, I don't think there's many victims of murderers mm-hmm. that like deserve it. Mm-hmm. But... I also think that it is a little more interesting, not only for me researching things, but for our listeners who are listening to this, I think it's more interesting to listen to how and like try to comprehend someone killing one or a lot of children versus a husband killing his wife. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like anything that's like domestic violence or like a robbery gone wrong. Like it's just not as... Interesting. Well, and I think there's also the push that we often feel that you can only 
you know, eventually treat or cure something like this if you first understand it. Yeah. And we're so far from that, I feel like, but hopefully someday, who knows, you know, and I don't know, you know, and that's the other thing. I mean, are these things, I don't know, is it like, so there was a book that came out, I want to say it was also in the 80s by a psychiatrist named M. Scott Peck, and he's best known for a book that was, you know, a huge bestseller called The Road Less Traveled, but he has another one called People of the Lie. And the basic thesis of that book is that human evil is, in fact, a psychiatric disorder, and it should be treated and studied as such. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you can develop treatments for it the same way we're trying to develop treatments for schizophrenia and, you know, other diseases, which are also, we, I mean, I know we have a lot of psychotropic drugs and things out there, but it just seems like they their side effects are so horrific or do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I have yet to meet anybody and maybe they're out there. Maybe I'm just dumb or I'm not, you know, well versed enough. But honestly, have you ever met anyone who had a psychiatric disorder that was cured? No, they just get put on drugs. And even when they're on the drugs, do you know what I mean? They yeah. might say things are better, but now I have to deal with the side effects. Like I've never, mm. ever, ever met anybody who said, I'm good now. You know, yeah. as long as I take my drugs every day, I'm good. They're better. Do you know? And because I, and I, they take the drugs. Yeah. but yeah. And, and there's always, it seems like there are always, along with that, behavioral things. And again, I'm talking to somebody who has pretty severe depression and and pretty strong anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. And I have to say for me, it's much, much more about behavioral therapies and sticking to those. Like I, I don't take meds. I mean, yeah. I, I have in the past, but I, I'm one of those people that found that the side effects were almost as bad for me sometimes as the actual disorder. And um, for me, behavioral therapies and things like that have been much, much, much more beneficial. Yeah. But it's hard, you know, and I still fall down. And um, I, I don't know, a few weeks ago I went through, I, I, I've used the metaphor before, you know, that I call it falling into the pit. You know, like the pit's always there and I know it's there and I, I do the things that I have to do to stay on the edge or the rim but despite my best efforts, I still fall in sometimes. Yeah. And and I had a really, really bad bout a few weeks ago. And I, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm rambling. You can edit all this out. I don't even know where I'm going with this. But just that frustration, though, that I feel, I guess, you yeah. know, that we just don't seem to be able to treat these things. And we may never be able to, as sad as it is. Thanks for that hopeful note. <laughs> I know. Pessimist over here. <laughs> so, yeah. That. Sorry if I just... <laughs> like I said, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I think I'm still recouping, but... <laughs> well, Nebraska. Nebraska. Bleak. Bleak, windswept state with... <laughs> I like how it started out. I like how it started out. It's like the lovely state of Nebraska. <laughs> and now you're like, bleak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
No wonder Willa Cather left and never went back. She just wrote novels about it from New York City. She probably had the right right idea in mind. So that's funny. Well, thanks again for listening. So make sure you join our discussion group on Facebook, like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're listening from an Apple product, make sure you go to your Apple podcast and rate and review us. It does wondrous things for us. And next week, we are taking a bye week. Elena and I have a lot of things going on. So we have been unable to record. So we're going to go ahead and take a bye week. So Monday, the 13th and Thursday, the 16th, there will not be any episodes coming out that week. But we will be back on Monday, the 20th in Delaware. So, so make sure you tune in on Monday, May 20th. And until then, thanks for listening.